Unless you've been living on Mars, you've probably heard of blockchain. It's the tech powering a billion dollar cryptocurrency industry. Perhaps you own a few bitcoins. The truth is, bitcoins only a small part of blockchain's potential. We're here to show you the big picture. RMIT is the first Australian university to offer a dedicated blockchain short course developing blockchain strategy. This isn't just theory. We've partnered with industry leaders Stone & Chalk and Accenture to co-create a hands-on blockchain program for people like you who want to build real-world strategies for their business and upskill fast. Welcome to our special dedicated podcast all about blockchain called Around the Block. This episode, we're coming to you live from RMIT headquarters in Melbourne, where a panel of some of the world's leading blockchain experts have gathered together to take us into the big ideas behind the blockchain. Tonight's topic is beyond the hype, what every executive needs to know about blockchain and its impact on our business models. Leading our esteemed panel on the journey is renowned tech journalist at The Australian and self-confessed blockchain nerd, David Swan. This event is brought to you by RMIT Online in partnership with Stone & Chalk, Accenture and Startup Victoria. I didn't know what I was doing when I approved this building, but I'm glad it looks as good as it does. I was, um, I think, uh, 23 or 24, and uh, yeah, the token student rep, and uh, it's great to be in such a lovely building, so it's good to make a return to um, RMIT, where I uh, studied and uh, helped make some stuff happen. We have a great panel this evening. We've got some really, really interesting people I'd love to introduce you to. We'll start off with John. John Harris, come and take a seat. So John is the managing director of uh, Financial Services Technology Consulting at Accenture ANZ. We'll move on to Jason, if you'd like to come and take a seat. Jason, Jason is the director of the RMIT University Blockchain Innovation Hub. We've also got Alan, Alan Sen, he's the Melbourne General Manager of Stone & Chalk. And last but not least, Gendry Morales is the founder and CEO of Flight Plan. So this evening, um, what we're going to do is I'm going to throw some hard and tough questions to the panel for a while. Yeah, um, you didn't uh, say that before. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, guys, that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> what we'll do, we'll start off um, and, and get some, some thoughts on blockchain and what it is. And um, I'm sure some in the audience maybe aren't as familiar with technology as others. So we'll, we'll start with the basics and then maybe tackle some of the, the deeper things going on. Maybe we'll throw, throw to Jason, for, first of all, and love to hear what you think um, or what the def dictionary definition is of, of the blockchain. Yeah, um, all right, so there's, there's the short version of this, which is sort of superficial and not that helpful, and then there's the 50-hour version of it, which costs $1,800 and, 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 and is, 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 is better. I lost all my money on Bitcoin, so I don't have that money to spend right now. Sign up now. <laughs> so, look, the short version of this, um, blockchain technology was invented to solve a particular problem, a particular um, problem that had... had, had um, remained unsolved for uh, for 
just 10 or 15 years. And because we hadn't been able to solve that problem, we didn't have native money on the internet, right? This is the double spending problem. So blockchain technology was designed as a kind of, this is what we're gonna do to solve this particular problem. And now we've got money on the internet. And that was, you know, that was like nine years ago or so. Um, the way in which it was done was it was a combination of a bunch of other technologies, sort of um, public key cryptography and peer-to-peer -peer networking and, and game theory and a few other things like that. Um, and that is kind of where a lot of people still are still tracking that story. That, yay, now we've got digital money on the internet that works, cryptocurrencies. Um, thank you, blockchain technology, for bringing us cryptocurrencies. But what has happened since that sort of momentous event nine years ago is that we realized we can do other stuff with this thing. And that's kind of the whole story, I think, about not, so there's, there's a what is blockchain technology, it's the solution to the double spending problem that gives us magical digital money on the internet. But then there's the why does this, what else can it do and why does it matter? And the whole story is that what blockchain technology enables you to do is to have trustless distributed data on the internet. And that's a much bigger, money is one thing you can do with that, but anything that involves record keeping can be used for this technology. You go, well, what's that? Well, everything that's in the economy is, is that. Everything that's digital is that. So um, we can put software on there, and now we've got smart contracts. Um, we can put digital records, that's identity, that's property titling, that's, and, you know, the economy can move to this. And I think that that's the, that's the significance of what we've got now, is we've got a new technology for collectively, as a group, trusting data. Um, that's huge. That's, that's, that's a sort of once in every sort of 500 year type thing. And we're just right at the beginning of it. And we're trying to figure out, I wonder what will change with this new technology. Um, so money, payments, um, and then there's the what else. And that's kind of what, where I think we're up to and what this course is trying to do and what, what we're trying to do at the Blockchain Innovation Hub in terms of bringing bunches of researchers, economists and political theorists and lawyers and, and sociologists to try and understand this beyond just a, a new technology from mathematics and computer science, but also what does this mean for society, the economy, political systems, the way we live our lives. So yeah, that's, that's the sort of the context of, of what it is. Yeah. And that, that's the stuff we're going to be digging into. And I'd, I'd love to hear from each of the panelists um, a little brief synopsis of your, your current involvement with blockchain technologies, what, what you sit, where you sit in terms of your, your personal and professional lives with, um, with that technology, what that involvement looks like. Um, we, see, um, we see it in Accenture, we, we see it in, in kind of waves, right? So we're seeing, in, particularly in Asia-Pacific, a number of proof of concepts that are, that are, that are going on. It's, it's, no, it's been publicly available, if you like, that um, Singapore um, Monetary Fund has been doing experiments, several experiments, several proof of concepts, in terms of how do the Singaporean banks swap money amongst themselves. RTGS is what it's called for those, those of you in the financial services industry. Um, this is a lot of money they want to swap amongst themselves, and they want to do it immediately, and they want to do it so it's actually completely guaranteed. Now, obviously, Singapore itself has trade ambitions beyond its own borders, so that's, that's why it's thinking about it. Um, but I think that's a very, very interesting development. It's a proof of concept at this stage. Um, do we, the four banks or the 11 banks of uh, Singapore, trust uh, the money that we're going to swap amongst ourselves to a technology that, frankly, the executives of those banks 
wouldn't really understand, right? So it's, it's complicated, and if you read the paper, you can download it, it's on the internet. It's complicated, it's, 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 it's tough to get through, right? Um, and, but it does offer a quite, a, quite a range of benefits, right? So it's one record, I can, everyone can see what the record is, we can agree who can see what, um, and um, it's relatively instantaneous. Yep. So proof of concepts, I think, is what we're seeing. Um, and then the, um, the, the consortiums or the uh, ecosystems that can emerge around that, is it a multiple parties that just get together and decide it's going to happen? Or is there a strong figure or actor in the middle who's demanding it happens? And I think that happened in the Mazza's case, but you see other examples where there's several players getting together and saying, well, actually, there's a better world we can create for ourselves and for our customers and for, for the citizens, right? That, that one's quite exciting, I think, and whether that actually happened. So people are thinking about these things, proof of concepts. That's the stage we see at the moment. Cool. So my name's Alan, um, and background is I'm a crypto trader. Um, I own the Lamborghini. No, I'm just kidding. It's, um, I head up Stoneshaw here in Melbourne. Um, my background and sort of how I got into this space is probably, like most people, by accident. Um, so way back when, um, I did com law at uni, and that has a relevance, I think, to sort of why I got interested in this space. Um, went and practiced for a bit, left that, realized that I just was a bad lawyer, um, and then thought, um, you know, d doing a company would be interesting. But once you're a lawyer, you're always a lawyer to all your friends, um, and I was in a specific area of law that everyone wants to always uh, keep in contact with this type of lawyer. It's a tax lawyer. So um, a few of my friends made some money in the digital currency space, and they called me up and said, hey, made some money. Uh, what do you think? I said, Linden dollars, it's fake money. For sure, it's fake money. Um, um, second friend calls me up and says, hey, I think I made some money. Same thing, right? Like, this is just fake money. And then the third person called me up, I think I made some money. And I'm like, this must, there must be something here. So I went down the rabbit hole like most people, read um, the white paper, Satoshi's white paper. I was like, this is really interesting. Um, and, and this comes back to the relevance of, of why I mentioned in common law. Um, it, it sort of triggered, and I'm sure Jason had a similar experience, it, it triggers a whole bunch of stuff that you learn in university around economics. And then also for me, it was, it was around law, right? It triggered straight away for me this idea, what could you do on a chain? And this comes back to what Jason was saying, which I think is an actually a really interesting point. He's like, but what now, right? Um, and so that really triggered for me a whole bunch of stuff around, well, what could you do with this in the legal sphere? Um, what, what, what kinds of things could you actually put on a chain? Smart contracts, what does that look like? Um, and then there's obviously the regulatory stuff. So I got pretty deep into the regulatory stuff, um, helped uh, an organisation called Fintech Australia, which I sit on the board of now, um, sort of formulate a few positions and put them to treasury around areas of law that, that we thought um, maybe could be modified to, to better accommodate digital currency and blockchain technology. Um, and so worked a little bit on the GST stuff, um, if you're sort of familiar with the space. Uh, late or sort of last year, um, there were some changes made to uh, GST law to uh, acknowledge sort of digital currency. Um, and then there's been some recent changes as well to uh, anti-money laundering law um, and, and sort of counter-terrorism financing um, to, to again sort of recognize digital currency. So, so that's how I got into the space. Um, it, it's sort of long and winding, like most people who get into the space. Um, and, and, and just to be clear, I am not a crypto trader, so don't come up and ask me for any 
uh, crypto uh, tips. I don't have any. I don't trade. Um, so, and, and I mention that as well because I think that's where a lot of people probably have come here tonight to hear tips. Is that is that right? Don't ask me for advice either because I lost all my money. <laughs> that's not what I hear, David. I saw your Lamborghini parked outside. <laughs> Uh, so I come from a bit of a different um, perspective on this. So my background is in computer science. Um, and I, I hadn't really been working on the tools coding for a long time. Um, my, my husband had, had been into cryptocurrencies. Um, he was an ex-Wall Street trader and he was... Uh, talking to me all of the time and trying to understand the technology. And I wasn't really that interested until I saw Ethereum and the smart contract layer. It was the first time I could imagine um, how could we use this technology outside of the fintech kind of construct. Um, and that was sometime last year. And... Uh, had a great team around me and we decided we want to get on the tools and we want to build on this technology. Um, but it was really hard to ideate around because it's very difficult to, you've got this kind of big idea of uh, how could we use uh, distributed trust? Um, what, what could we actually create? Like what small kind of use case that people could actually interact with could we create? And that was really difficult. So we, um, we did a few kind of mashup activities and we had this crazy idea to put um, digital cats on the blockchain. And... Um, and so we thought, that sounds like a fun enough idea. And um, we thought, well, we know that this is going to be a hard learning curve, so uh, let's, let's figure out what's like the smallest MVP we could imagine. So we said, all right, there's five of us, and we were inspired by, there's a group called the CryptoPunks in New York that um, kind of did this, the, the first kind of crypto um, collectible art. And we thought, well, well, we'll give those guys a token each. So we're like, okay, that's 12 cats. So we'll, we'll, we'll do 12 digital cats. We'll make them 8-bit because that's cool and retro and it reminds us of working in this space and we'll put these 12 cats on the blockchain. And it took us many, many hours um, to work with this with this tech um, to learn all of the solidity about working on the Ethereum platform, um, to design the, the UX and UI in such a way that we could actually surface the information and make it easy to understand. Um, and we got pretty far with creating, like, I think we're up to about 650 digital cats and we can, we, we, we have people that want them more than we can um, produce them. Um, but it was always an experiment for us to get close to the tech. And um, probably about December last year, we said, all right, cool, now, the, now we know a lot more about this technology, let's start to ideate again. Now that we know everything, what would we do next? Um, and we really felt like there's a lot of computer scientists in the uh, blockchain and Ethereum community specifically. And we really wanted to bring in more of the, the product and design community. We felt there's some really like magic features there uh, with the blockchain. So uh, we, we decided to build um, a, a rapid prototyping platform that abstracts away all of the nitty-gritty and, uh, and all of the, the things that make it really hard to kind of focus on the user side of, of blockchain development. Um, and that's called the flight plan. And we, we really see this kind of 
uh, creating this ecosystem where people can actually start to experiment with whether it's different um, mechanism design or um, business model patterns or different features to see, you know, how can we actually really solve this challenge, not around the tech so much, but around um, adoption to explore lots of different use cases with the blockchain. And in terms of finding that developer capability, are other skills out there in terms of, um, obviously it's still such a nascent technology and it's so young, are, are there enough people out there that actually you know, can work with it? Yeah, I think in terms of the skills, I mean, um, for anyone who does coding, like the languages are not so difficult to learn. I think it's more, uh, so Jason, you were talking about um, this immutability um, and it's like append-only programming is a really difficult concept to kind of get your head around because a lot of what we um, do is around constantly iterating through, whereas uh, when you put something on the Ethereum platform, that code is there forever with your name on it, with all of your mistakes in it, and the only way um, to potentially change it is to fork the contract and migrate tokens and that costs money. And so there are some new concepts and then... I think the decentralized nature, uh, it, it kind of causes your brain to explode with, you know, how, um, you know, how everything is so interconnected and the uh, uh, mechanism design and the incentives of the different actors involved and what that could mean. So um, I think more than the programming languages, it's, it's probably the concepts, but it's emerging tech and it is not all built out. Um, as much as maybe people think, and um, there are real uh, challenges with the technology today that make it hard. I think the easy answer is no, not really. Um, well, but you're right, because yeah. a lot of people are fascinated with the actual tech. Like, you can open the manual, you can study it, you can figure out how it works. But then how does that actually work in the real world? Um, how, does, how does it actually work? I mean, there are no real production examples besides Bitcoin and, and probably the cats um, and a few other things where people play with it. Um, but it's interesting from a computer science perspective because you find a lot of people are fascinated by it because if you've ever studied computer science and, you, and you've, you've been through the crypto cryptography courses, you kind of barely understand what RSA was and all the rest of it. And then all of a sudden you, it, 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 it launches into the real world into production and you think, well, actually I can create something that is on your machine that is utterly secret and I can swap with it and I can show exactly what I want. And how does that actually work? It's fascinating from a computer science perspective to actually construct something like that. And then I think where, where the world's going to learn and we're just we're starting now is then what business models can I construct on something like that? Where I can utterly trust what's there, it can't be broken, right? You've got to trust that. Um, and, or can you trust that? And then what business models can I actually create on top of that? We don't know. We really don't know, right? And I think that's what's exciting. That's, what, that's probably what's packed this room um, because that's, that's an exciting, that's an exciting new, new, new space. If I can just iterate on that a bit more, I, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think um, we're used to new technologies coming along, like, say, the electric motor or the transistor, yeah. you know, radical technologies, but they replaced something, horses or valves or something like that. So you go, the world will be different, but better, faster, cheaper. Right, so we, whereas what we've got here is not just a, a, a radical new technology that has this, you know, it, it does a thing but better, faster, cheaper, or, or different. Um, it's, if, if it was just that, it would be super exciting, but we wouldn't have a packed room here. What we've also got is this notion that what this thing does is, is it enables us to build entirely new business models that we've never seen before. 
Um, so ICOs, just new, new ways of financing, new ways of doing payments, new ways of um, DAOs, new ways of doing the architecture of organizations. Just um, we haven't even yet seen the what does this do for nation states yet, but that's that's kind of be a 2018, 2019 thought process that we're going to go through, and that um, you know. One of the big things that happened in the 20th century was we decentralized economies in terms of markets. We went from, we, we did that. But we left organizations and nation states untouched. They're still as centralized as they were back in the late 19, in the, in the 19th century. Um, that's all up for grabs now. And how we learn about this is experimentally. We have to have entrepreneurs, not just not just sort of new technologists building new stuff, but um, entrepreneurs building new types of organizations or building markets where they never existed or could never exist before because we've got this new tech and this new organizational tech and this new fintech and this new trade tech and red reg tech, all powered by this one underlying technology. And I think you know that that notion of that's what's new and exciting here from a from an entrepreneurial or strategic perspective. Yeah, so, so I agree um, and sort of disagree. So I think one of the interesting things that we forget is sort of the long arc of history. So um, if you think about steam engines, no one thought that one day a steam engine, which sort of was an interesting bit of tech and was a toy to start with, would one day power a whole new way of moving things across you know, countries, right? Um, and I think it's the same story with, with blockchain tech. There's sort of in the frenzy stage at the moment where it can do all the things um, and it, it, I was sitting on a panel last week and I was published two weeks ago and someone says to me, oh, do you think that blockchain tech can over, overtake governments? And sort of in my mind, all I heard was, do you think a database can overtake governments? And, and that's sort of how I think about a technology a lot of time. I think we've got to think about it in a long arc sense. So if you think about even the web, right? So uh, three phases of the web. Phase one, you've got um, all the infrastructure being built, TCP IP, HTTPS, all that stuff, right? And um, open source, it's community-based, great. And then you've got Facebook, you know, Gaffer comes along, right? Like Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, right? Um, and then they build on top of all that tooling, and then they centralize it all, right? And sort of web three, which is where we're sort of at, is let's decentralize all that again, right? So it's this cycle. And so I think over the long arc, things tend to be the same, but they, they tend to change, right? So it's, it, it's all, it, it's rhyming, right? So um, I, I'm a bull, but a bear when it comes to blockchain. I think there's a lot of interesting things that will happen, but at the same time, I think it'll be a progressive change. Um, you know, a lot of companies just ride the wave and, you know, um, it should just be like moving from SQL to Mongo, right? Like sort of like, oh, it's cool, but is it gonna make a big change? I don't know, hopefully it does. Uh, do the course to find out. Um, but, you know, maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't all that interesting. Maybe it's just a progressive switch into um, a tech that does stuff a little bit better or maybe just does it a little bit differently. <laughs> and this is sort of what I get it, what I'm interested in is sort of where is it going to land, right? Um, I was giggling before, I just never imagined, and I sort of blame cats for most things, but I never imagined cats would be the reason the mempool's full for something. Um, and sort of that's where things have landed. Um, but it's interesting, right? Because um, most things start out as toys, right? So you, what people do on the weekend, what nerds do on the weekend, is what ends up being what we do for a, a job during the week, right? At some point, right? And so I think that's where we're at. And the question is, is it, is it actually going to stay a toy? Um, and what the nerds are doing on the weekend, is that actually gonna be what we do during the week? Or is it just going to be 
um, what the nerds continue to do, right? That's, that's I think, the interesting piece behind this. Alan, I, th I think one interesting thing is who's going to have the economic clout or ability to form the ecosystems or to change an ecosystem? You know, for example, and again, it's in the press, but ASX is, is looking to use blockchain as its underlying technology for trading, clearing and settling in Australia, right? Now, yeah. that'll change every single trader but they're still trading. Maybe. Traders are still there. Yeah, I think... But, yeah, maybe they'll be successful, maybe yeah. they won't, right? So. Look, and ASX will probably abstract away all the blockchain stuff, right? It'll yeah. be the same interface. It'll be still, you know, the same clunky stuff. And if you've ever seen... So the ASX does this great presentation. I've just forgotten who the guy who's heading up the project is from the ASX. There's a great presentation where it's like the full chain of... Um, you know, capital markets, and you're like, holy cow, there's a lot of people here. Like, yeah, how do you just is. cut all of them out? There's too right? many. There's too many. There's like, too Gary, many. Like there's way too many, right? And you're like, isn't the point behind this just to cut all these guys and girls out? Like, isn't that what you're doing? It's like, yeah, but it's interesting because then they're like, no, 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 now we're going to take over those people and do their thing on a chain, right? And I'm saying, well, is that interesting? I don't know, right? But yeah. So, Alan, is, is there a chance here that the way this pans out is the tech bros ruling the world again? Or is blockchain's inherent nature that it is decentralized and that that's not a, a possibility in terms of the way this goes? Um, so, I'm anti-cuddle puddles, right? So <laughs> What does that even mean? You know the Tech Bros book, right? Anyway. I haven't read it yet. It's uh, I'll read it. It's funny. Um, so, I think yes and no, right? So, again, it's, it's this nuanced view between sort of the two, right? So, I think... Decentralization within of itself is a really interesting concept, right? How do you decentralize things that are centralized? I think that's really interesting. But at the same time, you know, you see with R3, right? It's just, it's a consortium pulling together and then doing it on a chain. I don't know if that's interesting, right? Um, if we look again, sort of long arc history, especially around web tech, the interesting stuff is always the stuff that starts out on GitHub, right? Or equivalent, right? It's a Linux, it's the stuff the community get behind and actually build on top of, right? It's about community and it's about open source, this idea that everyone can contribute. A million people pulling it, right, is better than four banks pulling at it, right? So I just think that's where I spend a lot of my thought and a lot of time is looking at the open source stuff, right? Looking at the data on GitHub, right, in terms of how many repos are there for a particular type of thing, right? So Ethereum or Bitcoin. And just looking at that's really interesting because it gives you a sense of like, how big is the community getting and how much of the collective um, brain power is being pushed against a problem, right? Um, a bank trying to solve a problem isn't all that interesting usually because it ends up being um, sort of this centralized thing and you know, maybe ends up in their lab and they do stuff and great, off it goes and dies a painful death, right? Like the, but like open source, all that, that's the community-based stuff's really interesting. Yeah, what do you guys think in terms of this power shift and in a more political, I was gonna get philosophical later, but we'll do it right now in terms of uh, this idea that, yeah, the, the power might shift ultimately. Well, can I, I want to approach this from the economic history perspective, because yeah. we do know a lot about what has happened with previous generations of new technologies. Um, it's not consumers that matter in this story in terms of the speed of adoption. Consumers' power determine the speed of adoption, but the, the, the gradualness or the slowness or the, if, if a technology um, is, is, is halted, the reason it's halted is politically, in the sense that you've got powerful vested interests in not doing the new thing, and those vested interests in not doing the new thing seek protection. 
And this can be occupational licensing or reg industry regulation or trade barriers or just name your whatever it takes to make it illegal to do the new thing or to raise the cost of doing the new thing. And that's where the coalitional politics play out, is the coalition for the new thing, which will often be a disorganized group of some firms, many consumers scattered around the world, doing a thing that they're not quite sure what it is yet, disorganized, versus a very organized, very concentrated, usually with a lot to protect um, coalition. And that coalition might well be an industry or or the very thing that sort of means all business transactions require 15 steps. And it's, you know, and, 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 or, so in, in that sense, I think that's the, the way this plays out as a political, coalitional, long-run historical story. Now, what we've got here um, is if that's just within a single nation state, you know who's going to win and who's going to lose. It's the new technology loses, just by definition. Um, in a global context, where this technology can move around, where it can go to where it's loved, um, where it can relocate, where different parts of it can just go without seeking the permission of anyone. Different story. So, I mean, so I think, I mean, this is the, the reason for my um, sort of bullishness on the, this technology might actually be different just precisely because it can actually escape into the, into the internet. It can escape globally. Um, it's going to be really hard to politically kill. And politically killing technologies is normally how you stop them. It's, it, it's political, but it's interesting because you see a strong actor and sometimes in the middle who cares more about <clears throat> their outcomes than, than the other players in the industry. The example I used before of Maz, I mean, I'm sure the 11 banks of Singapore didn't think it was a great idea, and they probably still don't think it's a great idea. I didn't say that on uh, public, I don't think. We're but, on the record. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I know. It's being filmed. Um, but, 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 but Maz certainly drove that hard, and, and they, they are the central figure in, in actually talking about that, right? Um, and you, you'll find other regulators, if you like, and other industries potentially doing that as well, uh, I think. Because when, when blockchain folks came along, I mean, the comment internally was, oh, well, a regulator won't like this. And it's like, regulator loves this. Regulator can see exactly what happened, always. Regulator's got everything that they want. So uh, without that, you've got lots and lots of horrible interfaces all over the place. It's always wrong. Always the, the data's always um, you know, mismatched, because that's, that's really where the reg tech's going these days. It's a lot of effort to do it. Now, if I'm a bank or a, a trader, I, I like it kind of because I, my, my effort of giving the data to the regulator is less. Um, but that regulator is, is, is beginning to like these things because they, they, they can get results from it. And I think more recently, the, the being myopic now from the long arc to the myopic sort of view of this, I think technology has changed a lot of things and the way we think about this problem, right, which is how do you stop technology or how do you change, sorry, how do you stop something that uh, impede, like impacts uh, interests, right? So. Uber, right? Yeah. It's just like you can't stop it because it was just the right confluence Correct. of things coming together. Yeah, right? Very good idea. You've, everyone's got a mobile. There was a, you know, in Melbourne, there's this very specific thing around most people not uh, enjoying their experience in a taxi. Um, so just this confluence of stuff comes together. And when that confluence of stuff comes together, it's hard to hold the tsunami back. And that's what we're tending to see with the tech stuff, right? So Uber's the great example of this, right? It's just force majeure, like it's just like, it's just there, it's just a force of nature, it's happening. Um, and then if you think about, I think chains are the same thing, right? Like just, there's this confluence of stuff happening right now that, that make it interesting potentially. Um, and 
I don't know, I just, coming back to Bitcoin, the original blockchain, I still really get excited about all the stuff that it's doing in terms of empowering people um, to be able to move uh, value through a different set of rails. I just think that's really interesting still. Um, and it's the only chain that really has worked unimpeded on a, you know, 99.95% SLA, right? Like it just works, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think more recently we're tending to see technology sort of solve a lot of that, right? Which is, it's pretty hard for government to stop something, right? Just generally, um, yeah. I think um, this this does feel like a really different tech. Um, so I've worked with a lot of different um, emerging technologies and they're, they're nowhere near as exciting um, as this to work with in terms of um, possibilities. So uh, I do think it is different. And uh, Alan, you were talking a bit before about uh, kind of the open source aspect and the community um, that is building around this tech, especially, I mean, the space that I'm in, it's all around public blockchain um, and that Ethereum community is a very strong kind of ecosystem um, and... Uh, I guess the other thing that we've got in the mix that we probably never had before is um, the game theoretic and the alignment of incentives as well. So uh, maybe for a lot of people in the past, working with this technology, um, uh, emerging technology would have been about okay on the more more of a hobbyist thing. So on the weekend, maybe I'll I'll play around um, with this technology. Whereas um, you know people can really um, you know, find a way to actually bootstrap them getting started in there and actually um, design the the tokens um, in such a way that it creates value for the entire ecosystem. Um, and I think there's something really powerful uh, more from how it feels to work with this technology that attracts so many um, really good developers into this space is that uh, you feel like together you are creating something not just bigger than yourselves but for kind of all of humanity and that's that's the exciting thing about working in this space. So for us, I mean, we, I mean, um, I lead a team of economists and we, we had a similar experience as economists to this when we sort of a few years ago sort of started realizing that what we were actually looking at here was new economic infrastructure. This is a technology that you can use to build. It's got money, rules, governance, contracts, or you can build organization. You know, otherwise, if, you know, if it, if it wasn't called blockchain, we would say that's an economy we're describing here. Um, and it was that sort of shift that we were actually looking at something that just had these capabilities that we'd never really seen before. It didn't seem to be behaving like our technology. It was actually behaving more like this, this thing that we'd otherwise describe as firm market government, blockchain sort of, sort of space. So I think that's, and again, you know, we're still very early in this, this process and we could be sort of over, over egging this and, you know, it, that may well be the case, but there is this thing is behaving differently to other technologies that we've seen, and, and that's, that's, that's what's exciting. Speaking of behaving differently, I wanted to ask you one tough question. Uh, ICOs, um, I get probably between uh, 10 and 20 uh, pitches a day for uh, IPO, ICOs happening. If the audience doesn't know, it's an initial coin offering, and it's when a business decides it wants to raise money, uh, and all they have to do for that is to create a token and uh, release a white paper, and often uh, the fundamentals are not good, and uh, it's, uh, a few have been labelled scams. And not to get all negative on you guys, but um, 
ICOs, um, what, what do you think in terms of uh, current state of play? Should people be maybe being more uh, mindful about investing in, in things or do you see a lot of potential there? I just want to be controversial for a second, so let's talk ICOs. Th this would constitute investment advice, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, there's, there's a PDS you need to fill in. <laughs> Don't make any recommendations. Yeah, that's right. I've already lost all my money, so it doesn't matter. I, I have no comment on ICOs. Okay. <laughs> okay, anyone else on the panel? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll, yeah, yeah I love there's a ICOs bridge down there I can sell you. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm really torn on ICOs because I think it's, on one side, I think they're really interesting ways to raise capital. And that's what most people are trying to do. I think um, fundamentally changing the way capital's raised um, is really interesting and timely, right? Um, Non-dilutive capital is pretty awesome as a founder, right? Um, okay, flip side. Um, most of them are scams. Most, I, so I, and every few months what I do is I just jump online and I sort of Google ICO and I read a few white papers just to see if I'm being too negative. Um, and so the last three I read were um, essentially, it was marketing material, right? Like, and that's probably putting it nicely. Um, so I think we're at a stage again, sort of we're in the frenzy stage where everyone's jumping in and it's like, free money, let's jump in and get it, right? So we're at that stage where there's quite a bit of noise in terms of the ICOs. Um, but at the same time, I think there's also, so capital raising aside, I think the, the interesting stuff in the ICO space is really about the way I put it, sort of prepaid API calls, right? Is this idea that you're getting a token to pump into a network that's going to return something, right? So the example I usually use is um, Filecoin, which is like a decentralized Dropbox, right? So the idea is that, you know, all of us probably have a bit of spare hard drive space. Why wouldn't we just collectively offer that out to market and offer a small part of our hard drive space so people can store stuff on it? And in return, we get a coin, right? We get some economic value back for offering out our hard drive space. That's sort of cool, right? That's really interesting. It's decentralizing storage and, you know, again, incentivizing people. This comes back to this idea of um, pushing uh, an economy or, or sort of market dynamics into a system, right? In, into, in, in this case, a technology stack, right? I think that's really interesting. But again, it's just that we're in the frenzy stage. I think that'll clear out over time. And these tokens, these what sort of people refer to as utility tokens, are, are going to keep growing in, um, in terms of uh, the number that actually probably end up being used. Um, and also, I think, just in terms of interest, that they will get better is my hope. Um, and then I, I just really hope people stop trying to raise off ICOs. It's just, it's not probably advisable, um, not putting my lawyer hat on. All right, so um, I love them. I think they're fantastic. I think they're hilarious. Um, I, I, I value them as the equivalent of the Cambrian explosion in biology. It's, it's just a massive explosion of crazy experimentation, most of which will go extinct. Um, you say scams, I say extinct, but it's just, you know, I, I don't necessarily presume that these are scams. I just think a lot of them are just bad ideas. And we will find out after the event when, when some of them die. But I understand. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there are some that really don't fail the laugh test, but clearly they failed, the, they passed the capital raising test. So, you know, who knows? Um, but what I would also imagine is that we're going to get some enormous, potentially billion dollar 
companies out of these things that will look back and go, wow, how did we ever live without that? Um, the innovation here is the simultaneous capital raising and market and, and, and market creation at the same time using a single thing. Normally that's a separate process. Consumers over there, um, investors over here, here it's, it's simultaneous, which means it's better, it's cheaper and faster. Um, now because it's cheaper and faster, the barriers to entry are lower, um, you can look at that as a bad thing in terms of, well, look at all the resources we're wasting, or you can look at it like me and go, well, look at all the experiments we're doing. Um, you know, time will tell where this goes. But I, I mean, I, I think this is just a fantastic example of, of, of economic evolution. Um, and the only way we, we, this ends in tears is if we expect it all, them all to succeed. Um, clearly, that won't happen. So as someone who's working on a blockchain startup in this space, um, it's a bit of a conundrum. So I feel really torn um, either way because I see the way a lot of um, token sales are run at the moment is that really strong emphasis on, I guess, the marketing of the big idea. And a lot of my background is in modern product development where we build small working prototypes and we try to get product market fit before we actually scale. Um, so the idea of trying to come up with this big concept ahead of time and sell everybody on that dream and then raise way more money than you need to um, to actually kick something off doesn't really sit right with me. Um, but it's a kind of paradox, right? Because at the same time, it's um, enabling teams to actually do that experimentation and research um, and uh, find some really interesting use cases and build out some really cool infrastructure. So that's kind of a good thing. Um, but for, for me, I, I think that the token needs to have some kind of um, utility for it to make sense. I don't think it just being used as a way to raise funding is enough. I think it's the combination of what you're trying to achieve from a tech perspective, um, as well as how the token is actually going to work with uh, building your community and those market dynamics. Um, so when I, when I think about, you know, uh, ICOs, I, um, I can't help but think that uh, unless, unless you get those um, token design and mechanics right um, and you think about how you actually, like what is the, the value you're trying to create um, from, for the, the product you're trying to build um, and therefore how is the token going to play a part in the actual tokenization of that with the different actors in the ecosystem, um, then, it, then it, doesn't, it doesn't really... Um, it doesn't really kind of be worthy of uh, what, you know, ICOs were really intended for. Um, and probably one more comment I'll make on this is um, as someone who actually builds on these platforms, um, I don't even read the white papers. I look for where the prototype is. And if there's nothing on testnet, and even if, like, sometimes there's actually something on testnet and you go, you know, through Etherscan, which is Blockchain Explorer um, for Ethereum platform, and you actually look at the contract and you see, has there been any transactions on it? And if it's, you know, an empty-looking contract or it's been just, you know, dumped in from one of the, the standard frameworks out there and no one's actually used it, you know, there's a bit of vaporware in there. Um, and, I, and I would imagine that, you know, you kind of want a bit more substance if people are going to be raising multi-million dollars, um, you know, to, to, to fund an idea. 
Yeah, so I, I'll just add one more piece to that. So I agree, like experiment, you know, do all the things, right? That's great. And I think that's, you know, there will be an Amazon-style company that will come out of it, something big and successful. But at the same time, I think, like, going down to the micro level, speaking to companies, anyone that wants to ICO, what they don't realise is really they're creating two companies, right? So there's a thing that they're doing, right? So let's say they're doing, like, a marketplace. But then all of a sudden they do a token. Now they're building, now they have to maintain an economy, right? And so they've now got two businesses, right? If you've ever built a company, you know, doing one business at, at one particular time is really hard. Doing two is impossible almost, right? So it's, I think, at a company level, I tend to tell most companies when they, when they say, should we ICO go straight away? No. Like, generally speaking, no, because you will not be able to do your business plus manage an economy. It's pretty hard, right? So it's, I think at the company level, you have to think really deeply as to how the token is going to be used, what's the purpose, like, you know, what is the reason for being of this token? And if it doesn't have a substantive reason for being that's embedded into the product, it's pretty hard to justify doing an ICO, in, in my opinion. So, so not an ownership token, if you like, not, not a replacement for having stock? No, I just, as a general proposition, no. Because that's what people think, so. right? Correct. Saying, yeah. Correct. They're just like, oh, this is free money. You're like, I can just throw a token out into the world, and you see 20 tokens, throw it out there, get some money, and like, you know, don't have to raise capital. So I, I, it has, to my mind, it has to be deeply embedded and have a reason for being, like a real deep reason. See, I've always thought the metaphor here actually was, was not necessarily this is we're doing a new thing where we're raising, we're, we're starting a new company. I think you actually you hit the nail on the head when you said it's more like starting a new country or starting a new economy. Um, now, starting a new economy normally involves warships and, and parliaments and so on. Um, here it involves a lot of careful upfront design to get the incentives and mechanisms correct to get people to do the thing that you want them to do to create the value that, real, that, real, that is then captured in the token. Um, so, yeah, this, this, sort of mechanism, this sort of designing an economy aspect, I think, is, is, is really interesting. Yeah. Designing an economy is pretty hard, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I think capitalism sort of showed us that communism doesn't work that well, right? So, like, trying to... The jury's out on that one. Yeah, jury's out. So, like, tinkering with, you know, rates of inflation um, is, is actually really challenging, right? Because... It, the economics is very, very hard to get right, a priori, right? Because you're starting at a position like, I'm going to plan an economy. What am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to do this. Well, maybe it doesn't work that way. Okay, but we've now we've launched a few thousand economies into the world in the past year. Um, we'll see how they go. Yeah, no, that'd be really yeah, exactly. interesting. We've got some great experiments to launch. But um, so we're, we're right in the thick of that at the moment is how do we... Uh, design the mechanisms um, and it's incredibly hard and the I mean if you look into the um, I mean I didn't study economics but if you look into the game theory part of it and it's almost like the inverse of game theory um, and you've got to kind of reverse engineer back from the value you're trying to create um, to figure out okay how are we going to tokenize that who are the different actors um, and it's a lot to try and think through and plan out before you actually launch that design of your tokens. So, yeah, I think the more we can watch these experiments and see how they play out and which, which kind of patterns start to work, um, I mean, ultimately, we keep learning from that and we'll probably come up with some really interesting models of the future. 
if I can just speak to, I mean, this is sort of perhaps a moment to sort of talk about why we put together this course, is that a lot of this information knowledge, like, you know, reverse game theory is called mechanism design. It's actually a thing we know quite a bit about. Um, it's just it's not normally coupled with a whole bunch of other skills that you need in this space. So in a sense, you know, what we've actually really done is curated a set of otherwise, um, you know, reasonably well-known, but... Um, not normally seen together skills and, 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 and programs and put them together in, in, this, in this sort of focused way. It's also about process too. Why do you think that system will work, right? So, I mean, you see it in business. You see, we see it in our practice a lot. When we introduce a new system, why do we think that's going to work? Why is that a good idea? You mentioned the Uber example. It works because it's a very good idea. Uh, people use it because it's a good idea. It, it takes off like wildfire because it's a good idea. But it's the same with these column tokens, column economics, column countries or whatever. But if, if, if you actually design a bad one, it won't go anywhere. If you design a very good one that makes sense to all the actors in that, then it will go somewhere very quickly. And so I think an important part of any learning is sort of questioning. And I think that's what, you know, this course will help a lot of people do because it's very easy to get caught in the hype, right? And talk about, you know, blockchain is the future, but it's getting into a nuanced conversation about where does it work? Where is it going to work? Um, how should we play with this as an organisation? What is an intelligent way to actually deploy something in our organisation? How do we have that conversation up front, right? Is blockchain a thing for us? It's not going to be for every company, right? Um, and going down that rabbit hole and having a deep conversation up front, an intelligent conversation, being equipped to have that conversation is the challenge at the moment in the market, right? You can go to any pub, say the word ICO, and seven people come up to you and ask you for a tip, right? That's where we're at, right? And so having a really, um, having the ability to have a nuanced conversation about the technology, what it can, it can't do, what is the promise, what is the hype, um, is, is really important. And I think, you know, having worked with the RMIT team, like, that's hopefully the stuff that people will be able to walk away with, is going back internally, talking to an EGM and saying, hey, I think this is a thing for us. We should do a proof of concept. Or, you know what? It's probably just hype at the moment. For our organisation, we probably need to just take a step back and wait. Right? And that's part of, you know, coming back to mashing together a whole bunch of different, inter, uh, different disciplines. That's sort of what I, you know, I'm hoping. There'll be 100 people that come out of the course and we'll be able to have a really nuanced conversation um, about blockchain technology internally. Okay, we might leave it there. Uh, I invite everyone to, to thank our panel. Well, that's it from us here at RMIT. You can find more of our episodes on all things blockchain at SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find good podcasts. And don't forget to sign up for Australia's first dedicated blockchain course, Developing Blockchain Strategy, an eight-week program co-designed by the RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub, Stone & Chalk, and Accenture, where you'll get to join a global team of thought leaders, researchers, and experts in crypto economics on a blockchain journey of a lifetime. To find out more, go to learn.rmitonline.edu.au. This podcast was produced by That Startup Show, produced and written by Ahmed Salama and Anna Reeves, sound engineered by Nathaniel Watkins, with special promotion from Jack Welsh. Thank you to host David Swan and panel guests, Professor Jason Potts, Alan Sen, John Harris and Gendry Morales. And a special thank you to RMIT Online, Stone & Chalk, Accenture, Startup Victoria and all our guests and live audience at the live event. 
This podcast was filmed live on location at RMIT Melbourne. Thanks for listening and we'll see you around the block.